This is Off Zero, brought to you by LearnBitcoin.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Off Zero, the new podcast from the team at LearnBitcoin.io, where any topic is welcome as long as it's Bitcoin. I'm your host, Keith Laska, and I'm joined today by British Holdel, which is really, really exciting. Uh, British Holdel, I'm sure you've heard of him, but he's a passionate Bitcoiner on X, uh, whose sole purpose or main purpose is to get everybody to one Bitcoin before this thing takes off into the stratosphere. Uh, he's an outspoken advocate of both Bitcoin and the Bitcoin ETF. So British Holdel, welcome to Off Zero. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sweet. So everybody who joins the podcast, uh, we, we donate uh, on behalf of to a charity. And you've chosen Peter McCormack's charity uh, for the Bedford Football Club, Grassroots Football. So we'll be donating right after this podcast uh, to that charity. Thanks so much for naming them. Appreciate it. No, thank you for making the donation. They're yeah. doing good work over there. They certainly are. And we obviously got some good news about Peter uh, today, which was which was awesome to hear. You want to yeah. tell everybody about it from what you know or? Very proud of him. He just got vindicated in uh, in court uh, in his lawsuit against Craig Wright. So yeah, he's won. You know that's good. Supreme Court has ruled in favor, which is fantastic. Um, good stuff. So listen, first thing I think a lot of people want to hear about. Uh, there's just an insane amount of news uh, with Bitcoin, the ETFs that have just launched, the uh, pending having, and of course the desire and the hope that everybody gets to at least one Bitcoin uh, before the end of this year. Tell us a little bit about what you're thinking with the market. Yeah, I think the market right now is so. It ever we were expecting. Well, a lot of people on Twitter were expecting there to be a straight candle to heaven, right? Um, As soon as this thing launched. I was like somewhere in the middle because I made a prediction a couple days before, like I've been talking about it since BlackRock applied. And all of everything I said was correct up until the last two predictions I made right before the approvals came in, which is I think we'll get $3.5 billion of net inflows in the first week. And if that happens, then a fifty-seven thousand to a sixty-two thousand dollar price point. The point that we're, we're what we're facing right now is we've rented a sell the news event. Which, if you look at some of my other tweets and videos, I basically said there will be a sell the news event because I wasn't expecting market to close, it to be approved, and then trading the next day before market opened. Right. So there was a sell the news event, um, and really what we've had here is people who are number one selling emotionally. Because they just don't like grayscale, they've wanted this money free for a while, et cetera, et cetera. And number two, people who have been forced to sell, like FTX, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then on top of that, we've got miners who have been, you know, riding this run up that they've had, uh, and they're liquidating as well. So we've got a, 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 a crash between, you know, a sudden rapid rise of supply on the market, and you know, consistent ETF algorithmic buying. And so in yeah. that, when that happens, you're going to see a drastic drop in price uh, until that supply gets chewed up by that algorithm, and then we'll start going head and up. What, what's the estimate for how long it's going to take for, who knows how long Barry's going to be selling, but how long is this bleed going to happen? And by the way, I'm with you. The fact that we've sustained around the 40K levels, given all of this selling, is indicative of how popular these ETFs are going to be and how Bitcoin's going to be. Yeah. But any any idea, like, when's this going to end? So two days ago, I put out a tweet and I said, I think we'll see the GBTC uh, bleed slow down and we may even see a net inflow day into GBTC within three weeks. 
Okay. And a day after that, the net inflow started trending down. And today, JP Morgan's come out and just said that they believe that the selling and the profit taking on GBTC is pretty much done. So we'll see. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be relatively soon, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But as we go into and, and by the way, just because that outflow is done doesn't mean the supply has already been chewed up. So we yeah. still need to get that excess supply chewed up and then the price can start steadily climbing. Absolutely. There, there, there are a couple of theories kind of floating around Bitcoin Twitter right now that say um, the price of Bitcoin is going to be less volatile because we now have these ETFs and we have potential options ETFs that are going to be approved. Uh, and, and I think the worst case scenario for a trader and the best case scenario for an investor, long term investor, is that it just slowly grinds up, yeah. you know, literally month after month and just doesn't give any any relief to kind of day traders or, or scalp traders, but it just kind of grinds up due to the supply being soaked into these ETFs. Yep. Do you prescribe to that or do you think there's still going to be a lot of volatility? I think comparatively to real estate and the stock market, there's going to be a lot more volatility than those. But I think it's going to be significantly less than what Bitcoiners and Bitcoin traders have been used to. So someone who's coming into it from the real estate background is going to go, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> but someone who's in it from a Bitcoin trading background is going to go, oh, this is over. Right. It's, it's going to be an infusion, and a, a, a conf, you know, an inflection of those two attitudes. And then hopefully they just move to a holdup position and, and they don't go down the um, shitcoin rabbit hole. Right. And, and well, waste. I'm a capitalist. Right. So I believe that everyone has the right to make and lose money, whatever you want to do. So it's uh, whatever they whatever they feel like doing, they can do. But obviously, for me, you know, the right methodology is huddle. Uh, for the long term and, you know, understand what it is that you're actually buying compared to just trying to trade. Absolutely. Uh, Based on fundamentals, there are very few things out in the market that have uh, strict fundamentals like Bitcoin has and has built over the past decade and a half. Um, Interesting. Now, just a question for you. So so it's when the ETF news broke, I was expecting, and we have received a lot of interest from financial advisors and wealth advisors to learn more about Bitcoin. I expected expected the floodgates to open dramatically and everybody to rush in and say, we need to get educated. And then I turn around and find out that the large broker dealers like Raymond James, Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, and others have literally placed this ETF, even though it's approved by the SEC, it's been blessed, uh, on the restrictive securities list. And... Uh, you know, they, they basically have it hasn't passed AML yet. Is this going to go on for a while? Are these games that are being played or is it a matter of time before the executives at these companies look and see the demand and say, we got to open this up? Yeah. So, I mean, I got a phone call from uh, someone who works um, in, a, in an advisory firm. And, you know, if you look at the time that I put my video out on that, it was like an hour before everyone else realized that Vanguard was 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 blocking this whole thing. So. Um, I got that phone call with this hysteric advisor, basically saying they're not gonna, they're not allowing us to fulfill any orders. I don't know what the hell's going on. I have like so it was, yeah. Look, at the end of the day, just because the SEC has approved it doesn't mean an uh, you know an institution has to uh, accept the risks and the volatility that comes with it. Now, the good work that will happen now is the people at BlackRock, the people at Fidelity will be calling their calling their brokers up, calling their people up, and letting them know that this is safe. This is a safe product. Here's Here's what our modeling shows us. Here's what the ideal allocation should be in a portfolio. And all that's going to take time. No, you know, I was saying this for a while, like no one's going to bother teaching about a product until they can make money with it. 
right? Right. And so now, unfortunately, again, that whole getting approved and then trading the very next day in the morning, like caused a little bit of friction. If there was a month between approval and trading, all of this would have been dealt with because they would have had time to educate their advisors and everything else. And they haven't had that. So yeah, it's going to take some time to educate people. It's going to take some time to go. We literally went in a, in a one week period from Bitcoin is used for criminals to the SEC, BlackRock, Fidelity are all selling Bitcoin. Like, yeah. So <laughs> that, that, time, that emotional time, you know, that education gap is going to need to be filled. With 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 an intern kind of turn, disabling two factor authentication in the middle of all that as well, yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. Um, okay, so I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist, and and you know my my view is that uh, the Bitcoin ETFs are being restricted for other reasons apart from from just being on an AML list or being a restricted security for a period of time. But I think you're right. This this was almost rushed into the market before yeah. that kind of deadline, that ARC uh, invest deadline uh, more than anything. But, you know, I think as a Bitcoiner, I kind of see this as a blessing. I think in your first bull run, you kind of get nervous with with price fluctuations. I think after you've been through a, a bull run or two, you get excited every single time there's a suppression of price when you know there's demand down the line. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, you're looking at an asset that it's the only asset in 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 the world that can scale to every single person in the world and has finality of scarcity, right? It's the only yeah. one. We don't have anything else. There is yeah. no other asset that can scale to every single person on earth and maintain its scarcity. Not one. It's interesting you said the word scarcity. I remember a, a presentation from Michael Saylor, I think it was BTC Prague, where he, he listed um, you know fiat currencies, the stock market, and Bitcoin on an XY axis chart, and, and it was time over scarcity. Uh, and, and the message that rang true for me was, hey, look, every financial advisor tells you to take your money out of cash and invest it. But then they tell you to put it into the stock market, and it's all denominated in fiat dollars. So you're still losing money, but just a little bit more slowly. Um, Bitcoin is truly scarce. It's the scarcest asset in the world. Uh, and therefore, you know, as, as that bubble grows, as, as Pierre Rochard would say in Speculative Attack, that 2014 article, as the bubble grows and starts to suck in more fiat in a limited supply asset like Bitcoin, we could see fireworks. We could see explosion in price. Yeah. Do you prescribe to that too? Yeah, I, I think that the the one model, quote unquote, that will break over the last that's been going on over the last few years is this idea of diminishing returns. You mm-hmm. you cannot have you cannot have diminishing returns continue when you've ten x the demand potential. Like the last bull run, no matter what anyone wants to say about it, it was probably like twenty five to thirty five billion dollars of capital that made that happen. Go from thirty five hundred at the low to sixty nine thousand at the high, right? Like the ET- BlackRock making a one percent allocation of their current AUM involves a hundred billion dollar purchase. They've got ten trillion a- management. It's crazy, right? So that's just BlackRock. So, so all of this, all of the everyone, you know, everyone's going on about, you know, oh my God, there's, uh, you know, BlackRock is putting all this money in and the price is going down. Th- their their fund is worth one point eight billion dollars. That's zero point zero one eight percent of their AUM. And most of it's coming from Grayscale. I don't even think they've started allocating any capital yet. Right. And you think they're going to get to a reasonable 1%, basically? My entire philosophy of when I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, 
dump my entire gold position. I'm going to start focusing on Bitcoin. I realized I screwed up and, and misunderstood Bitcoin and pivoted towards it was this. 1% of assets under management will go into Bitcoin. And if that happens, mm. you're looking at a $5 million Bitcoin. It's interesting. I was, I was chatting with Fred Krueger a couple of weeks ago on, on the pod. And and he believes that Bitcoin could get to somewhere between five hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars per coin within the next say four to six years, three to six years. Um, but he then went on to say that he believes it might kind of uh, find itself in a in a, in a decade long recession uh, after that period of time, because ultimately that Bitcoin will no longer be the shiny new coin. You know, AI will, will have really grasped the world at that point in time. There'll be other things for people to focus on. Um, do you prescribe to that, that theory that, that Bitcoin will hit a peak and then kind of hover for, for a period of time? Or, or are you more of the, it's scarce, it's limited supply, there's going to be constantly more demand, and therefore it's going to keep going up forever, Laura, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with most of uh, Fred's thinking. Um, I disagree with that one point. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that you cannot have an asset that has finality or scarcity in an environment where, I mean, do you think the U.S. is going to stop printing money over the next six years? I don't think so. So right. in that environment, the question is, is at what point do you, do you reach capital saturation inside of the asset, right? Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that happens when you've got an if to hodl actually goes up. Because if I, and, and also the type of buyer that's now buying now is different to the type of buyer that's been buying for the last 10 years. So, yeah, I, I, I disagree with that. I, I don't think there will be a some there may be a some point where we might see some capital saturation uh, hit Bitcoin for a number of years. But I don't think that happens in, in the next, you know, 10 years. What do you think? Um, what do you think is going to get a financial advisor or wealth manager who's not already exposed to Bitcoin off zero for their clients? What's what's going to be the catalyst? Do you think to get them to go from "I'm not touching it" to "We need an allocation"? Yeah, listen, look. If any, if there's any financial advisor watching this that needs to understand why they need to get their clients into Bitcoin, go look at the leaked report that came out of BlackRock, where they did an internal study for their internal private clients, alongside launching their own internal GBTC-style structure years before the ETF came out. So go look at that study, and their own analysts basically dictate that the perfect allocation uh, in alignment with risk and reward is 84.9% Bitcoin, and the rest split between stocks and bonds. So so go look at that firstly, and then understand how Bitcoin's price function works. It's it's a step... it's It's compounding at such a level where the fees that you will be earning as a financial advisor for recommending the product are going to compound at the same rate as the Bitcoin is is going up. So if you get a million dollar allocation into Bitcoin in year one, the, the fees that you're earning in year four, year five, and year six are now going to be like on $10 million. It's not a $1 million growing to $1.5 million. That $1 million, or like with real estate, for example, it's a million dollar allocation growing to $5 million in, in, in four years, growing to $15 million in, in, in eight years. And then you've got you know your percentage fee based on that. So financial advisors need to understand two things. Number one, what type of fee you're going to get based on selling the product. And number two, are your clients going to be happy and safe? And I don't think anyone is going to be upset with a 1% to 10% allocation in an asset like this, especially yeah. now that you've got ultimate career coverage because now Larry Fink is talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone says anything, just blame it on Larry. 
<laughs> he is the president, actually. He's 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 the president. Everybody knows that. Um, and what about what about like there, there's some uh, split opinion in the community. Uh, a number of people think the ETF is fantastic to get access to to Bitcoin. You don't have to worry about self custody, memorizing keys. You know, multi sig. You just kind of buy it in five seconds with your brokerage account. And then there are others that are, are building up Bitcoin rails in the community for people who want to self custody and and want to get direct exposure to Bitcoin. Where do you fall on those two schools of thought? I, personally, I think, you know, obviously the best solution is self-custody because then you actually have custody of your own assets. Bitcoin's also the first asset in human history where it is a scalable asset. It can mm-hmm. scale to more than a hundred trillion dollar market cap and you can actually maintain self-custody of it, right? So mm-hmm. that's also a unique part of Bitcoin. However, personally, based on all the experience that I've had, I think the ETFs will be the preferred way to own uh, Bitcoin within the, for the next 10, 15 years. I, I don't, mm. I don't, there's obviously going to be the, the cohort of people who just believe in self custody, and that's fine. But when, if you are an, you know, you're a high net worth individual and you're faced with the idea of, okay, I want to own $10 million of Bitcoin and generate liquidity on it, and you go to a Bitcoin only company that's lending against Bitcoin, charging you 12% interest, versus you go to your broker account and BlackRock says, we'll loan you, loan it to you at, I don't know, 4% Fed rate plus 50 basis points. There's not, there's not a choice there, right? Because if you want to remain competitive in the competitive, in, in the financial world, you've got to take the lower interest rate. So there's a lot that's coming here. Plus the fact that you can do op, you will be able to do options on the ETF. Bitcoin basically turns into a cash flow generating asset at that point. Without a doubt, yeah. People selling calls against their positions, you know, and, and generating people some really income. People really need to pay attention to, like, how important that is. No, no one's talking about that because if it wasn't important, the very first thing that Grayscale did after approval of the ETF was file for a covered call ETF. Hmm. That's the very first. Imagine that. You go through this entire fight. You're approved now. And the very first thing you do is file for another ETF with covered calls on it. Why would you do that? It's because you're now opening up the possibility of income funds coming in. You're now open. And the beautiful thing about income funds when it comes to Bitcoin is that it's the same asset everywhere in the world. I don't need to go look at property in Miami and then wonder what do I do in five years when New York is now okay again, right? Like you, you, you don't need to worry about that. It's the same asset in Miami, New York, Singapore, Dubai, Australia. Like it's the same asset everywhere. It's interesting. So it's almost like uh, Bitcoin self-custody might be an insurance policy for, for high net worth, right? I'm always going to carry a couple percent on a hard drive somewhere as a safety mechanism, right? But apart from that, I'm going to access the, the traditional system and, and what they've provided me in terms of exposure. Yep. You, you talked before, this is months ago, but it stuck in my mind about uh, when you would ever loan against your your, or borrow against your Bitcoin. And you had suggested at the time, and I don't know if your thoughts have changed, that you would wait for a retracement to the 200-day moving average. And that would be... Oh, two, was it 200-week moving average? Okay, 200-week yeah. moving average. And that, generally speaking, of course, no financial advice there, but generally speaking for you personally, is an area where you're willing to risk because you believe that's that's a, a pretty strong kind of base for, yeah, for Bitcoin. I, I would feel comfortable, you know, now that you've got BlackRock Rails, Fidelity Rails coming on board with taking a 25 to 30% LTV on my Bitcoin at the 200-week moving average and doing something else with it, right? Um, yeah. Anything else other than that just sounds, ter- you know, it just, it, it, it's, I wouldn't want to take that risk with what the asset is. 
Yeah. I mean, as, as they always say, if you don't know where the yield's coming from, then you are the yield. Right. And uh, it was interesting. I was teaching a, a class at Fordham uh, last night, and I had this slide up there talking about the dangers of, of these kind of um, uh, lending practices that kicked off in the last bull run. And on the, the screen was Celsius, um, Voyager, uh, you know, Anchor Earn, BlockFi. And I just chuckled and laughed for, for the, in front of the class. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't visit any of these websites to show you the dangers of them because they're all bankrupt. They're all done. Um, they're, all done. they're all completely done. And unfortunately, I know people who personally lost money, uh, you know, in, in those applications. I wish they had spoken with me before they decided to venture into that. But and, and it's a shame. And I feel bad for those people, people that have lost. I had people who spoke to me in 2021. And I said, this doesn't make sense. You've got an asset that's compounding at 80% a year, and you want to risk it for 82%. Like, how, how yeah. does this make any sense in the world? And they still went ahead and did it. And now, you know, the conversation is is terribly sad, right? Yeah, like, I can't do anything besides say I told you so. Yep. Yeah. So um, what do you think the tailwinds are for Bitcoin right now? What's the excitement? Uh, if you kind of summed up three or four points, but the tailwinds kind of uh, pushing Bitcoin to its, its next, uh, uh, next new high, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, the ETF is the, is the single biggest tailwind that we've got. Remember what happened yeah. with the gold ETF, right? Like it went, yeah. gold ETF happened and then gold went on a 350% run over eight years. And that's, a, that's an asset which, whose supply I can completely control. I can't control the supply of Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a huge tailwind. The tailwind that that I find quite interesting is the fact that BlackRock, Fidelity, and all these advice, all, all these uh, uh, um, firms are going to start educating their advisors. BlackRock just announced today that they have a webinar tomorrow for their advisors, right? So uh -huh. they're going to start now educating their advisors on how to sell this product, make it, give it, you know, the it's okay to sell this product, et cetera, et cetera. So there is going to be a lot. You know, there's gonna there, it all of the the institutional world coming to Bitcoin is really what the tailwind is for the next four years. Everything else is completely irrelevant. No one, none of these private equity firms are going to take any major risk on any other cryptos. You know, we're not going to see an Ethereum ETF in 2024. Um, there's there's there is just all this focus is going to. If you want to be involved in the digital quote unquote crypto space, you are going to be owning a Bitcoin ETF and not anything else. Um, yeah. because everything else will have a lot of risk attached to it. You're going to have Larry Fink out here talking about Bitcoin every single day as soon as the price starts moving up. It'll be on every homepage of every website. This is, you know, th this is the single most, I've said this is the single most important event for Bitcoin since Bitcoin's inception. Um, mm. And then you know, we're not even talking about, you know, let's say you're a big, you're a big multi-family office or a big company that wants to, you know, allocate $500 million. Right. What are your options? Your options are equities, treasuries, gold, right? Commercial real estate. It's about it, pretty much. Now, if most people were doing commercial real estate, that's why property prices are going up. But think about it now. Let's say you are a multi-family office in Singapore that wants to get access to U.S. commercial real estate. The only choices that you have for lending purposes, the the, the monopoly is banks in the U.S. If a Singaporean bank wants to get access to that lending facility, they need to set up a whole damn team in the U.S. to to make sure the property deal is a good one, to make sure that you know, to make sure the risk profile of their investment is going to be safe. Whereas with Bitcoin, as long as I can send a transaction on the blockchain, I don't care where you are in the world, I have the ability to lend against it because you've just proved you own it. 
yep. right? Now, obviously, for, 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 for bureaucracy purposes, it's going to be a little bit more complicated than that. But that's, in essence, that's what it is. If a, if a multifamily office buys $500 million worth of Bitcoin and then wants to generate liquidity on it to do other things with, it's a matter of phone calls. It is called JP Morgan. Okay, what rate do you want to give me? They'll give you 5%. Okay, call Singapore. Okay, what rate do you, you, know, what rate do you want to give me? We'll give you 4%. Call London. No, we want the business. We'll give you 3%. People are really not thinking about what this does in terms of, you know, I think Raul Powell mentioned it first, like this idea of pristine collateral that you mm. can use anywhere in the world at the exact same time. So there's now a lot of use cases coming out for Bitcoin. And then you add in the options side of it. We haven't even spoke, like no one's really talking about that. The options part is big because you can now have funds that are strictly designed to give you income, going and lodging in tens of billions of dollars into Bitcoin just to generate that income. And with the, with the volatility on the asset, you can make your 1% a month using options on it while maintaining the upside, tail, up, upside return on the asset, which you can't do with anything else. So totally. you can sell out the money call options on, on Bitcoin so far out the money and maintain a 1% return per month. And that's all they need. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, yeah, there is a lot of, um, a lot of institutional tailwinds here. As far as I'm concerned, the... The, the quote-unquote pleb and the, the what I like to call the $10 a month DCA gang members, they're irrelevant now, hmm. right? And this is why I've been trying to shout like as, as much as I can, get to one Bitcoin because at some point this is going to happen. And now it's happened. So hmm. now we're going to start pricing out the low single-digit millionaires to getting from to one bitcoin and then the next cycle it'll be the hopefully the you know the higher single digit lower double digit millionaires and that's what that will just continue to happen here and i i love the the concept of getting to one bitcoin i would say though because of the divisibility and 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 free markets at play anybody can access bitcoin whether it's one mm -hmm. bitcoin a quarter of a bitcoin tenth of bitcoin whatever it is it's, it's believe it or not i get that question all the time People still believe that they look at the price of Bitcoin at $40,000 and say, I can't buy Bitcoin. I can't afford $40,000. They don't know you can buy $2 a Bitcoin or $3 a Bitcoin. Yep. But I think your point being, if you want to generate uh, at least lifelong, if not generational wealth, you need to get as high as you can with exposure to Bitcoin now, like yep. immediately. Yep. Um, okay, and by the way, really. the, ETFs, the ETFs destroyed that unit bias. Because now if you if you are an investor and you've got a Robinhood account, I can go and buy 50 shares of the IBIT fund. Yeah, So unit buys is done. At what point in time, I've, I've noticed IBIT's kind of leveled off a little bit. A lot of these these uh, ETFs have leveled off a bit. Have, have we, are we finding a floor, do you think, right now? Are we in the process of finding a floor? I don't even think they started allocating capital. Like, I yeah. think that if I was, like, just taking a wild guess, if I look at fidelity and blackrock's inflows they just look like gbtc outflows to me like i would be surprised if there is a net allocation of more than 500 million dollars between the two mm. at this point so yes i think we're reaching a floor price here but now they'll actually start allocating because think about it if i'm if i'm the advisor for all of our blackrock clients and then i call you and you're the etf manager and I say, what is the order book looking like? And you tell me, oh, there's a ton of selling pressure in the market. Don't worry about it. I'll call you when, when it's done. Because we have different roles, right? Even though we're both BlackRock, we have different roles. My role is to get our 10 trillion of AUM into the fund. And your role is to execute the ETF. 
Yep. So, but that doesn't stop us from talking to each other. So if you call yep. me one day and say, okay, cool, all looks like all the GBTC selling pressure is done and the sell books are, are drying up now, that's when I'm going to start sending you my couple billion dollars that I want you to put in. For sure. So Absolutely. I don't even think they've started putting any capital in. Like, I think it's less than $500 million probably. Anybody with a, a low time preference is going to wait, right? They're right. going to wait for the market to find itself and, and then start allocating. Uh, can you tell us anything, if, if you know about it, um, the FASB guidelines and FASB rules uh, in the United States, what that means for, for corporations or companies? Yeah. Ba- basically, what it means is that Bitcoin can be treated as you know an, any pretty much any other risk asset. It used to be treated on accounting for accounting purposes like an intellectual property asset. And now that's changed. So now they can actually mark to market on a quarterly basis. Um, and it's much better for balance sheets, right? Now, smart investors can overlook this, but the retail money needs to see the share price go up in order for, to realize that the, the thing has value. So I don't know what that's going to do. I've not been really that bullish on it. I think Michael Saylor is a pioneer, mm-hmm. and I think he's going to be a one-and-done situation. Um, but, you know, it's great because now a company can put, you know, a single-digit percentages – and, and I think that's where it will stop. I think companies will look at allocating up to 4 or 5%, uh, and that's it. But remember, the top 500 asset managers in the world control $130 trillion worth of wealth, and their boss is Larry Fink, right? U.S. corporate treasuries is like a $7 trillion market. It's nothing. Yeah. So yeah. at this point, it's irrelevant. If I, was a, if I was Apple, I wouldn't be looking at putting a significant amount into Bitcoin because then I'm just basically admitting I have no idea what to do with the money. Yep. I, why would I do that? You touch, touch on this. You mentioned it a couple of minutes ago, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I've been getting a lot of questions about it. You mentioned that you don't think there's any chance of an Ethereum ETF getting approved by, I think, what, what the final deadline for, for one of the applicants is, is May, some, some period of time. And BlackRock has obviously filed for uh, an ETF as well. What, what do you, why, why do you think that is? I just don't think there's appetite for it at this point from the SEC. I think they've been beaten up quite nicely. So, I, you know, I think they're going to push it out as long as possible. And by the way, BlackRock acknowledged this, right? BlackRock came out and hmm. said, we don't think that uh, – no, I think they said something like this is going to be a long, hard road. So that's okay. my signal to go, this ain't happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I guess a final question that I had for you you mentioned sailors are one and done. So you think there are going to be no other companies that are have either gotten in early enough or, or are going to attempt to do what, what Michael Saylor has done. Um, do you think the history books are going to look back on him as a, you know, a small genius for, for yes. what he managed to pull off? Yeah, I think Michael Saylor is, is a genius. Like there, there's no doubt about it. He is like that move was so powerful. Um, but I don't going forward now, it was a very powerful move when there was no tier one solutions as far as I'm concerned, right? But now there are tier one solutions. Tier one solution to me would be an ETF, right? Or self-custody. But the ETF is here now. So now you look at that and you go, okay, well, how many extra layers of risk am I adding on by deciding to own MicroStrategy? And then what are the potentials for trading at a premium or a discount? And on the 28th of December, I put out a video and I said, I won't be touching it because it looks like there's a 40% premium to the underlying Bitcoin to me. And then guess what happened? The share price dropped 40% in the next 15 days. So to me, it's like as an investor, if I want – and MicroStrategy is a great leveraged play on on Bitcoin. 
But if I want a leverage play on Bitcoin, I'm going to prefer holding the ETF, liquidating five or 10% of that and buying call options with it for two years. That's going to mm. give me the leverage that MicroStrategy is going to give me without the risk of premium or discount on the, on the, on the underlying holding. So yeah, I, I don't know what happens there. I think oh, in the long term, it's going to be extremely profitable. But yeah. now that you've got professional market makers in place, if you see that trend down to a 10% discount, you start buying it up. If you see it trend up to a 10% premium, you start shorting it. Like it's just the mar the market efficiency takes over at this point. For sure. There's ARB opportunities all over the place there. Um, l last question for you. If you had a microphone and you could speak to the entire world population and tell them something in 30 seconds or less, what would you tell them? Like anything or Bitcoin? I guess I'm wasting my 30 seconds now. Listen, ultimately, there's always, no matter like what you're thinking about, you know, whether you want to get into this or not, you've got an opportunity to own the hardest, scarcest asset humanity has ever created. And if you've got a million dollar property portfolio and you can't bring yourself to make a $50,000 allocation, I don't even know whether you deserve that million dollar property portfolio or not at this point. But ultimately, despite everything that we've spoken about, despite what everyone is talking about, the demand and supply dynamics will always work. And therefore, there are only three rules to Bitcoin. It's step number one, you buy Bitcoin. Step number two, you shut the fuck up. And step number three, you get fabulously wealthy. British Holdel, it's been fantastic having you on with us. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. Learn more at learnbitcoin.io.